Aftermath is brought to you by Art of Problem Solving, where we develop educational resources for motivated students, including textbooks, an online school, in-person learning centers, and a variety of online applications. We build the tools we wish we had when we were students. Welcome to Aftermath, where we talk to fascinating people in and around the STEM world about where they've been, where they are now, and how their passion for math helped them get there. I'm your host, Richard Russick. My guest today is Sam Vanderbilt, head of school at Proof School in San Francisco. Sam's been supporting kids who love math for most of his life. He and I were two of the founders of the Mandelbrot competition back when we were in college. He's written a textbook, taught at math circles and enrichment programs like MathPath, and contributes problems to the USA Math Olympiad. Today, he'll talk about his background as a math contest superstar, his graduate studies at the University of Chicago, and how he made the decision to leave a prestigious academic position in order to take on the challenge of running his own school. You'll hear about what it's like being in charge of a private day school that's built around serving kids who love math, and the challenges, both expected and unexpected, that come with that job. You'll also learn why leaving academia doesn't mean you have to give up on doing rigorous mathematical research. But before we get into all that, I'd like to share a little bit of history. I met Sam at the Math Olympiad program. It's a training program for top scorers in what we now call the AMC, American Mathematics Competition, series of tests. We were students there during high school way back in, well, let's just say it was a long time ago. Sam was a two-time U.S. Math Olympiad winner, represented the United States at the International Math Olympiad. But while Sam and I met at the Math Olympiad program, that wasn't the first time that I saw Sam. The first time I saw him was a couple years earlier at National Math Counts. That's right, Sam, I was there, up in the balcony watching the show. You were the show. So uh, tell me about it. That National Math Counts, for me, that was eighth grade. Uh, and I had, it was the second year that Math Counts was running. It launched the when I was a seventh grader, the very first year that I was eligible, and uh, and that was a that was an amazing year, amazing experience. Math counts for me was everything that a contest ideally is. It uh, motivational, caused me to really work hard and focus on something that I already enjoyed. Uh, helped me to meet people, meet classmates, work together, and and just to give you a little bit of a, a lead into that um, somewhat <laughs> fateful <laughs> uh, day at nationals uh, we had uh, we had come out of nowhere as a as a school team at at the Virginia State math counts that year and surprised everyone when Amherst Virginia people had no idea where Amherst Virginia was then I should have yeah. brought maps to hand out because yeah when you uh, say because, out of nowhere you should describe Amherst Virginia a little bit <laughs> Well, as you're driving from Charlottesville down to Lynchburg, there's an exit. There are actually maybe two exits off the highway. And if, if you blink, you missed it, literally, that we were just this little rural town in the in, in central Virginia. It was a nice place to grow up, um, sort of free-range children, the whole like the whole <laughs> deal. Uh, and and we assembled a team of four that won our, our local, our chapter round, and then us just astonished everyone by winning the state round the team the school team all the northern virginia te coaches came up to me you know and and asked how, how did, did you do how it? did you pull this <laughs> off it was the 
best moment. And I, I kid you not, that that day at States was uh, kind of the the highlight of the entire experience. But I did qualify to go to nationals, as you are aware. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I learned something else at nationals. I learned that I was uh, that that some days are are good days, and some days you're actually you discover that that other people are better than you are <laughs> and i've learned that lesson quite a few times and that was that was a good lesson that they i i was part of the they were they were test driving the countdown round what is now the countdown right. round it was the very first year they were trying out this format and they just launched it at nationals that day so six lucky contestants got to step onto the stage and i was I mean, I was ready for this. I was so excited. And the first question came up. It was a little counting question. And, and I knew exactly how to do it. And I was the first to buzz in. And people later tell me who saw this on TV that there was, you know, there's the, the panel of six kids and someone buzzes in and gives an answer. But it was not correct. <laughs> and then someone else at the very end of the row buzzes in and does give the correct answer. And that other person pretty much stole the show that day and um and i had the experience of of learning that other people are faster and quicker and <laughs> well you but... looked like you were having fun is what i remember <laughs> <laughs> that that i remember uh, i also very vividly remember the experience you're recounting about uh learning that there are other people out there who are faster and know more than you do uh, for me, that was ex that experience was at the Math Olympiad program, and that was uh, probably largely at your hands where I learned something very important. I learned that I'm not a mathematician, and I don't think it was just that you knew more math than I did. Uh, it was the, the well of creativity you could tap to solve difficult problems. Where did that come from? Like, what did you do in your training, or what were you exposed to, if you can, if, if you can figure that out, that gives you that creativity? That's an that's a an excellent question, and it's also, of course, a very difficult one to answer because it's almost as difficult for me to pinpoint as for you. Uh, I mean, it's partly about living in a certain world and getting to know it very well and loving it, and 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 if I guess I would draw an analogy by saying, if the outdoors is an incredible draw, as it is for many people where I live now, um, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, then you just want to spend time in it and and you explore side trails and you see what's up at the top of that little hill over there and, and you just do that and it becomes a becomes a habit of mind and it becomes a um, a delightful way to spend your time and and I've been doing that for years. Uh, I remember in eighth grade when it occurred to me to wonder how many number you know how many numbers are there less than 20 that are relatively prime to 20 a better way of asking that is if you make all the fractions from 1 over 22 over 23 over 20 all the way up to 20 over 20 how many of them don't reduce and are and like like 3 over 20 and i kind of caught on to the fact that there were some little patterns and eventually the crowning achievement of of that whole exploration was to have a formula i had well, I discovered you, the you know Euler's <laughs> rediscovered it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, and I've been scooped by about three hundred <laughs> years, but still, I that's I did that constantly, and and still, when a, a new idea comes along, I begin to play with where it leads, and um, 
Was that cultivated uh, yet, or was that just something that, that was natural or is that I would cultivated by your initially, parents? Initially, no, initially I would, I believe it was something innate. Uh, it's certainly been, it's certainly been honed somewhat over the years by having, a, I'm fortunate I've had a lot of opportunities <laughs> and occasions to indulge in that kind of exploration. It had a lot of outlets in the form of Mandelbrot competition or other, uh, you know, we live in a, in a culture now here in the United States where math competitions are a, a, a lively and active part of our, you know, of the landscape in the secondary school landscape. And so I've had plenty of venues for, for writing questions and sharing ideas and generally uh, uh, continuing this, you know, to be able to, to come yeah. up with these ideas. When you were a student, was having a lot of free time really important? Like you, you weren't at a super high powered high school where you were going to class all day long and then doing clubs all all afternoon uh this is that is a fact yes um that i was able to largely stay on top of my schoolwork during school hours during classes and uh and so uh, it, and it's a it's a double-edged sword i'll I, i'll try to be uh fair in that on the one hand i think there were a number of of opportunities that i just passed up as a student. I, mm -hmm. I was not super involved in all of the clubs after school or, and I wasn't, I spent a lot of time uh, just, just doing what you've described. But on the other hand, it, that's what it takes is, is hours working out, you know, wrestling with math problems, exploring, exploration just needs hours uh, mm -hmm. to, to be poured in. And so, and so while I, you know, got, behind in some respects i was charging ahead in others and i don't regret the you know the the way things turned out <laughs> so let's talk let's talk about that let's start taking the journey you you win the usamo a couple times you represent the us at the imo how do you get from there to running your own school well it's this <laughs> well it's a clear path you just um you decide you're going to run a school and then you go to like running school school and then you um, then you run a school. It's like that's oh okay. No. <laughs> it was a very. Uh, it was one of those meandering paths that, where most of the time you don't even know where it's leading. That is exactly what happened. So I, uh, you know, I attended college, and then almost immediately after that, things went wrong. <laughs> okay. In that I did what I was supposed to, right? If I'm interested in math, I went to math grad school uh, at the University of Chicago. And how long did and you I, last? How long did you last at grad school? Yeah, that's, that's how you, that's, that's how the question should be phrased. Two years. <laughs> hey, and, that, that's good. It's a lot longer than I lasted. But <laughs> um, I, Well, I lasted one year, but then I stayed on for the second to finish my master's and kind of because I was slow to start doing anything else. But I realized pretty quickly that that a, a day in which I was spending 16 hours doing math was not the right balance for me. And I missed, I missed okay. working with kids. I missed teaching. I missed doing what I got to do in the, in the math clinic at, at mm -hmm. college working with students. And so I took a leave of absence and uh, moved to the Boston area and, and basically got depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do now? I tried looking for jobs and that didn't, pan out so well i wound up the last minute with a kind of a an adjunct position at a uh, at a local college and then and then fortunately landed at roxbury latin um 
pretty much someone picked me up and shook me off and said, <laughs> you need to apply to Excellent. schools, sign up with this service, like get involved with, with teaching. And, and I did. And so I had five really this great years. High school, mostly this, or high school and middle yeah, school? Like, it was grade seven through 12. And I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but I was soaking up all sorts of lessons in school culture and what makes for a, a, a healthy school and how like how does a school day feel and how does admissions run and, and what is it like coaching sports and coaching sports, which I did a great deal yeah. of, uh, also played a, a huge part in kind of my formation as a grown-up who knows how to look after kids, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, anyway. Well, what uh, did that teach you? Just the coaching as opposed to teaching. Like, how is coaching different from teaching? There's There are a couple of fundamental differences I would suggest. Uh, one is that as a teacher, I expected kids to largely look after themselves, meaning you need to remember to bring your pencils. You need to remember to bring your uh, – to, to jot down what your homework is. It The, the – Right, the responsibility is on you as a student to put into practice and put into play the things that I'm telling you about and asking you to do as a teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the kids leave my classroom and they're on their own. If I, I'm, a, I'm a coach, I have a much more, I have just a lot more basic responsibility. I need to make sure there's water there at practice. I need to make sure that that the kids are uh, are healthy and and I need to know if they're. Uh, well, I need to keep track of them when we're going on away games, and yeah. I need to make sure that if someone's leaving with their parents, I, I'm, I'm much more accountable. And and I look, I start looking around under the bench to make sure the kids <laughs> were bringing their their sweatshirts home. And it this, there's a level of caring about the kid in a more whole way, in a more com, like is uh, that kind of something you look for teacher look for in teachers now at proof school it very much is in fact because at a small school like yeah. this being a teacher is closer our, our what we what we do for our students is is closer to what a coach does for their their team uh and there's certainly of course we we're teachers uh, yeah. and we're, we're in the classroom but but we're also with them during lunch and we're with them when we we spend time together in clubs and so a lot of the um of the rapport that one develops with kids as a coach. I love to see that happen between our teachers and our students. And we build different components into the school, different structures where that can happen. We don't have right. sports teams per se, uh, other, well, our football team, but, um, <laughs> okay. No, not really. <laughs> other than, uh, uh, a few activities. So, so yeah, I've tried to carry over some of what happens on the, playing field and as a coach yeah. into into the school and uh, with some success it's really great when that happens so uh, you're you're teaching there were you thinking at all then about running your own school or you're no, just not, doing your thing not in any way that was i was in my 20s and i, I gotta tell you that uh it made perfect i felt very comfortable having a role and delivering you know the what was expected of me and doing a good job with it and trusting administration to do their, do their thing, thing and i really paid almost no attention to what was involved in that i mean later i would recall oh you know the way that they set up the school day by starting all the kids out together in a kind of in a morning meeting that was 
there was a purpose for that and it was deliberately done and i have incorporated it into preschool routine but it's only much later that i looking back that i I wasn't actively taking notes, okay. you know, at the time. <laughs> so um, why'd you leave? You you headed back to grad school, right, after this? I did. I resigned from that teaching job because what I also discovered was that a a world in which I was spending 16 hours each day with teaching and kind of immersed in school responsibilities was also not the right balance for me because I do love math. And because math is beautiful and awesome yeah. and, and, and I – I, the number of hours I had to explore, of course, dropped off to pretty much zero yeah, per week. Yeah, because uh, it turns out teaching is really hard. And quite time-consuming, <laughs> yes. yes. And to, so we, um, so I made some inquiries about resuming my studies, and to my surprise, was told that I would be welcomed back to continue my uh, with, the, with the program at University of Chicago. So I did. I spent three more years as a graduate student uh, with a little bit more of a purpose now right. and uh, and and a goal for what I wanted to do afterwards and those were good years actually I was a fortunate as a graduate student to discover a little like a little pocket of math that was not super obscure or super uh, uninteresting uh, it was <laughs> and I had a great time developing a, a nice little idea and went to a few cool conferences in France and it turned out well uh, what was was the break like an important part of that? It really was. I yeah. I can't imagine that I would have pushed through for five years and 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 come out with the kind of uh, uh, optimism and and purpose that I did otherwise. And you know, again, I'm speaking for myself, but that that time was was crucial for me to. And I could, you know, it, I was just listening to myself. I could tell that that the the way things were going in my first two years was not the right balance for me. And I just paid attention to that and I, I maybe didn't act on it perfectly or, you know, <laughs> but, but it worked out. It was, it was the right call to, to make and resuming was also the right call. So, um, and, and so I, there I was with a PhD and well, <laughs> and then you became a mathematician at large from what I remember. Yeah. What that means is that I, like basically went nowhere with it for a while. But my wife now, she she landed a lovely postdoc at a school out here on the West Coast. And so I tagged along. Um, I think in the parlance, it's I was known as a trailing spouse. And, okay. Uh, so I trailed along. And those were lovely years. Uh, I, was, I was a mathematician at large. And I really did keep quite active because yeah. that's the way I like to – to, to be and that and for me that looked like starting a math circle at uh at the local university and at you know at the prompting of someone who had gotten to know me a lot of things happened that way in my life by the way like someone <laughs> prompted me to get involved in mandelbrot and yeah. like look at what happened uh and i got involved with uh, uh math circles mm -hmm. quite a bit and wound up writing about the uh some of what what I'd seen that worked and, and gathered other people's experiences, but I discovered yeah. in the process that I enjoyed writing. That was a book. You know? This was the circle in a box. It's a circle yeah. in a box. That's when that happened. And, uh, and so I, again, I had time to, to try things out and, and sink time into big projects. And, um, and I also did a lot of rock climbing. It was, those were good years. <laughs> so, I mean, at this point, the people that you met during this time, is that a critical step towards proof school? 
since it's back here in the Bay Area. Yes, towards proof school, very much so. It This idea was not yet on the horizon in the minds of the mm-hmm. people who did eventually found the school and, and, and have the idea. Uh, this was still, at this point in the Bay Area, uh, math circles were still growing and spreading. And I think most of the emphasis on providing enrichment or further, you know, sort of further mathematical opportunities for kids was all the energy was concentrated in, in math circles and written materials and putting materials online. And, and that was, uh, and so that's the manner in which I got involved, but the people that I, I became uh, colleagues with in the process, that was essential Right. No one was crazy enough yet to start their to start a school. No, no. and honestly, <laughs> no, it would take a, a crazy person down the road for yeah. for that to to actually uh, for someone to, uh, to 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 say yes. <laughs> but that yeah, I'm getting a getting ahead. Well, yeah. There's there's a little interlude yeah, yeah, in between there, where there professor years. yeah um, professor Vanderveld. The next step was someone in my life explaining that I really should get a job and um, and floating resumes and doing you know, going through the job search process, which is a uh, which is a, a tough one, no matter how you slice it. Uh, I was again, I was really fortunate to to be noticed at all in the you know in a, a stack of applications at this one college that's probably as tall as a chair, uh, and and I. I began uh, the next phase of my my career as a college professor, and that that was actually as well suited for me as anything had been yet. I I was immersed in good mathematics and was expected to teach. be mathematically active, but also to teach. And teaching college courses is um, it's, it's a nice uh, it's a it's a nice arrangement. I I love my my real heart is for middle and high school age students and I stayed uh, I, I spent quite a few weeks each summer in summer programs that that were targeted for that mm-hmm. age group so I managed to to stay involved with the the age group that I loved as well as with the subjects that I loved and um, it was a compromise it was just, it was a balance that was basically working uh, and so, I would probably still be there <laughs> yeah so let's, let's let's explore that you left. Uh, you left a position that very few people ever leave, right? You've got a nice university tenured, you're set, you leave. How did that decision happen? It was a, like most big moves, sort of lateral moves career-wise. There were a, a couple of motivations. Uh, the most obvious one is that I received an email in April of 2013 saying, "We're we've been batting this idea around. This is Paul Zeitz and yeah. um, Ian Brown and Dennis Leary, the three individuals who who refused to give up on this idea of a school for kids who love math. And that's literally what it was. They just refused to give every time it looked like no, this couldn't happen." they would figure out what it what it could look like and they and they did not let the their dream or vision die so they received a lot of credit uh but by the time that contacted me they had actually been having these conversations for a year or two yep. uh and and they'd gotten to the point where they were trying to find someone who would 
be a leader at this school and help bring it into existence. Had you been involved in any of those earlier conversations? Not at all. Not at all. Nope. I was. Okay. This came a, pretty much out of the blue for me. Uh, I was in a very different part of the country at that point. So yeah. if, what you should imagine is going to New York, um, and then you should imagine going north. And then if <laughs> after you've driven for about six hours, uh, you reach the Canadian border. And just before you reach the Canadian border, <laughs> you you arrive in the north country, which is where I was situated. It's a, um, a sort of a forgotten gotten almost forsaken part of the country and uh and that's that's where st lawrence university is yeah. situated which is a lovely university uh, by the way uh in, in just cold of, a little cold during the winter when the students yeah. are there the summer is lovely um the students never get to experience that but um that's the fate of being a college student so yeah so paul paul i had talked with paul when he was thinking about the proof, proof school and he thought it was extremely important that he get just the right person you were at the top of his list, and he didn't think he could possibly convince you to go out there. How did that happen? My guess is that, just like you said, very few people would really consider leaving a position such as the one that I had, because the prevailing wisdom is if you get if you get tenure, really the the only move you should consider from there is up within the college institutional framework. Maybe you, maybe you become a dean at another college, or you become a, the, uh, or you become a, a dean at your own college. But you don't make a step outside of the college framework because, and this is, I think, says a little bit about paths for math mathematicians in the United States, if you want to be a mathematician, which I always have and always will, in the sense that I'm actively doing mathematics, one of the only careers, there, there are others, but one of the, by far the, the most well-developed structure and place for a career is within academia. Uh, but it's important to know that's not quite where my heart was because I continued to do all these other things. I continued to write, you know, run a, a math contest for high school students and be involved in a summer program for middle school students. And when I realized there was an opportunity to be, to invest myself more fully with this age group, but continue to be involved in the mathematics that I loved, which happens at Proof School. I'll tell you more yeah. about that soon. Uh, I saw a chance to find that to, to find an even even more optimal balance in my own to, to to bring all the things that I love together within a career than I had imagined existed. And did you see that right away? Like when Paul floats the idea, you're like, "Yeah, this this sounds right." It, uh, it was probably two Real or close. three minutes later. <laughs> no, it was it was very quickly. Yes, oh, that cool. I realized the kind of the potential. So, what were your preconceptions at that time? You 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 hear the pitch from Paul, and you're like, "Oh, we're gonna go do this." What was your vision of Proof School at the time? And and I'm guessing you changed their vision somewhat as well. That's right. Uh, and my vision, of course, one can only one. One bases one's visions and imaginings on 
prior experiences. Uh, I'd had a chance in 2004 to go on a, a trip that was sponsored by MSRI to, to uh, visit St. Petersburg and to visit Russia. Moscow and yeah. visit some of the math schools that were th there. So I, I had a, I, I had been introduced to the idea of a school for kids who love math that functions as a, a full kind of full curriculum liberal arts school, but there's a, it, it's for a certain kind of student. That was, um, again, that's, that was not a novel idea in mm -hmm. Russia or Bulgaria or the, this idea of having schools for kids who really have a passion for certain subjects. So that influenced uh, what I am at, you know, my vision. And, uh, and then the, experience and the atmosphere at MathPath and some of these other programs and mm -hmm. certainly is replicated in, in throughout the um, throughout the summer in lots of in lots of different places the, the the atmosphere there is is amazing it literally changes kids lives who who come as a kid who has been essentially the exception you know he's right. the kid who is who just moves at a different pace and is interested in different things than pretty much all their classmates, these kids come together at MathPath and, and other summer programs and have this revelatory experience that there are lots of kids like them right. and they enjoy the same things and talk naturally talk about the same and find the same jokes funny and play the same games. And um, I mean, not cookie cutter, but they have <laughs> so much more in common yeah. with and they find their people yeah. in a sense. And and that's been a um, uh, summer after summer. That's there's been this. Uh, transformative experience and so the question that the founders asked was essentially why can't that sort of culture be every day uh, be part of a school year mm -hmm. why does it have to wait for the summer and and so again for for me I had no doubt that that this could happen and it would be good that the basic right. premise on which the school would be founded was was rock solid okay was it originally going to be middle and high school Oh no! It was originally going to be grades nine through twelve, partly because I think that was the age of the kids that the the founders were working with, and mm -hmm. there was a a little side story that happens uh, in which in which Paul Zeitz is running a little mass circle for just a handful of high school students, and the other some of the other parents, the other two founders were parents of two of those kids, and they were watching both what happened within the group in terms of group dynamics, but these were all high school students. And okay. so it was natural for them to just say, it'll be a high school. Now you put for a couple of, yeah, of, of, uh, of, I think valid reasons pushed pretty hard to, to extend that grade levels down to grade six, partly because I, I personally love working with that age yeah. group and partly because I think that's the age at which kids are making decisions about identity and whether they are good at math and whether they like math. And the same goes for other subjects as well. And I want them to be at proof school when yeah. they're making those decisions. I want them to be around other, I want them basically to make an informed decision like, Oh, this is what math is really. Yeah. Uh, math is so much more than I had imagined. And I love this. So, you're bringing the kids in at middle school. That was that you brought that in. Did you have to push hard for that, or that was just obvious once you mentioned it? We had conversations. Um, I think it was not an immediate, immediately uh, clear, but uh, there was never. I, I think there was never any doubt that that's where we would end up. It was yeah. more a question of, oh, should we start at seventh grade? Should we start at sixth grade? How does the kind of what, 
what's the norm in the Bay Area. There's there are a lot of practicalities. Uh, you know, if everyone moves to the next to middle school between sixth and seventh, it would make sense to start at seventh. Okay. And, uh, but but here it's more middle school is kind of grades six through eight, and that was a natural uh, a natural division. You know, sort of a break point for us. All right, so give me the give me the pitch. I'm a prospective parent. Give you me the presumably, yes, presumably, then you have a child who's uh, who loves math, who has fun playing with puzzles, who likes coding, who reads books related to math, who watches number file, who right? You've as a parent, you've noticed that your child is behaving like- in certain ways that lead you to look at preschool uh, because there are other children like them, uh, but you have certain concerns. I'm sure as a parent and one of them no doubt is uh is my child going to get into some kind of narrow focused uh math all day and come out as a you know as a 12th grader without any real breadth or uh with in a manner that would not play well in the college application process and that's a big focus for families and and the answer is no that's a that's absolutely a myth about proof school that it's a school uh only for math you know and in fact the you know a typical for instance your prospective ninth grader would be taking next year a uh, a world civilizations course and a foreign language and a science and a history or we got history Mm -hmm. and a literature course and a and a math course there are five courses that uh, run at once and and then as they move through high school they're going to have chances to take cs electives and a couple years of language and art and it's a liberal in fact the the mission statement of the school is that proof school offers a transformative liberal arts education to young people with a active curiosity passion for mathematics equipping them to to reason and communicate and positively impact their world so there's like woven into those 30 words there are all sorts of ideas that give a a hint as to what the culture at the school is like community is a big deal and we care about how kids treat each other that's in fact a anyone who's out there thinking of starting a school that is essential not a negotiable item that has to be part of your vision from day one how the kids uh, how the kids treat each other you're saying how the yeah. kid the right the the culture that and and one of the reasons that's so is that the other thing that needs to be in your in your planning from day one is how are you going to create a school that for boys and girls who love math because there are lots of boys and girls who love math out there but due to various kind of, again, sort of societal norms and assumptions and expectations, there's a push to get the boys in the door of a place like Proof School that's disproportionate to the interest amongst the kids. And, and it's so crucial to have an environment where your girls feel just just are comfortable, are welcome. It's a place that's uh, community is is pretty pivotal how do you do that how do you how do you draw in the young women who are interested in mathematics and and fight well, those the preconceptions there, there are kind of foundational principles and then there are also just practical ways to to, to help make it happen mm-hmm. uh, and the foundational principles are a there uh a bring in 
bring in boys and girls who are who are both good at math. It's important that the kids learn to respect each other from early on, and that and and we were fortunate in that we were able to do that in our first year, and and then and then craft visit days and and math festivals for girls that have that make it possible for girls to come in the door here at Proof School, engage in mathematics, and be around a lot of other, other girls, other both women. both yeah. other girls in the community as well as as girls from our school and have their initial experience at proof school be one in which, Oh, proof school girls, very natural. Like have it. You don't need to trumpet this from the rooftops. You just need to to schedule events where it can happen. And so a couple of our teachers had this uh, kind of uh, uh, groundbreaking or earth shattering uh, insight. And we've been hosting every fall, a math festival for girls at Proof School, and it's fantastic. And it's attended. For instance, this year we've got 77 students in the building. Uh, students. Mm-hmm. The day we held the math festival, we had over. We had more than that number of girls in the building. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and having a fantastic time because we're doing, you know, we're doing fun math. And then there's a structure to how to make the day run well right. and, and and so forth. But so, um, but that's been something that I've been really pleased with how that. Mm-hmm. original vision has been is is being realized. So speaking of getting the day to run well, what does the day look like there? First of all, what does the day look like for the kids? A typical proof school day. Sure, today is a uh Wednesday. I'll tell you about tomorrow. Uh so the the kids will be coming into the school from all around the San Francisco Bay Area. It's it's something of a regional school, even though we're fairly small and a day school. So they're coming in on trains and buses, mm-hmm. and and some of them come straight to the school uh, because the older students are are fine navigating the the last leg of the trip, walking the um, up to our location. And other kids who are younger students are met at these transportation depots by. By faculty members, and right. honestly, and I'm one of them. I take the bus into the city and then meet with, you know, meet up four or five other kids, and we walk. It's a 20 minute walk to school, and we talk about things whatever kids yeah. like math talk about, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes and it, it's a it's a great way to start the day together. Kids are pulling into the building typically between nine and nine thirty. Uh, the so you start or nine late. at nine twenty. We do start much later than I did when I was a kid, yeah. and and that's of course done because uh, leave time for kids to actually make the trip to school and start mm-hmm. at a time when our our kids are actually alert and kind of <laughs> mentally, ready to mentally engage right. at that point in the morning. So uh, it it seems like a, it made sense on, in all respects. Right. Uh, so th- we start the day at nine twenty five with a about a ten minute morning meeting. Today I. This is the whole school. Yes, yes, all, like all seventy-seven. Yeah. And as we get a little bit bigger, that that may wind up. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, being grouped by age, we'll, part of the growing process. We'll see how that plays. <laughs> uh, but for today, we had a uh, a quick lesson. Does anyone know what the word autology means? A u t o l o g y. We just played with some of these ologies on on Monday. Okay. I asked. Uh, what's ludology? Ludology is the study of 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 playing games, uh, like games and gameplay. <laughs> Where did this go? and and exobiology? That's a study of life in outer space. So we I, and you'd be amazed how many of these words the kids That's actually. It's a pretty already short know. study so far, but. <laughs> uh, 
So autology is a study of words that are self-referential, like polysyllabic is a <laughs> word that describes itself. Uh-huh. And and so you just tell them like little trivia nuggets, fun stuff. It's a time for announcements. It's a time for sometimes for sharing something that's more meaningful and substantial. Uh, I took a trip earlier this year to visit my father mm-hmm. who's uh, in on the other side of the of the country. And I did it because the th- myself and two brothers had decided we wanted to celebrate my father's 75th birthday. And it was a huge hassle getting out over the weekend, but it was something <laughs> I did to honor my father. Like that was the whole mm-hmm. point of the trip. And so we talked about what does it mean to honor someone? You know, we spent a couple of minutes. So this is what morning meeting is for. Uh, uh, d- do you generally find that just anything that's interesting to you proves to be interesting to the kids? Because it certainly sounds like uh, these things you're talking about are interesting to you, and the kids yes, and have a resonance with you. It, it, that happens often enough. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that's why morning meetings continue yeah. kind of to, to work over the over the weeks and years. Uh, often I'll make up word puzzles. It's another again. It's a great yeah. outlet for for coming up with puzzles and uh and i'll, I'll debut them uh of it, at morning meetings so that's that we start the day out together just very briefly and then there's a first morning class there's six different classes going on a, a snack break and mm-hmm. and then a second morning class the classes are fairly long they're over mm-hmm. an hour that the general principle or i guess the general philosophy is that we want to dive deeply into stuff um and rather than a, a right. lot of a lot of reps that are shorter uh and and that structure works works well for for most of our subjects uh okay. hey, I, it, there's it's, there's always a judgment call but that's how it that's how a thursday works and then after the second morning class we have a, a half hour lunch and then there's club time and clubs were introduced and still continue to this day as a way for students to spend an hour during Doing the whatever. day with yeah just with other kids they one group is down playing board games and another group is out wandering around the city looking for, you know, doing geocaching. Mm-hmm. And a third group is there's a cooking club and there's like cooking science less on Monday. This group learned all about how chocolate is made and, and what are the different percentages and what goes like, how, where does chocolate come from anyway? <laughs> so one of our teachers who just happens to be knowledgeable about yeah. cooking science is sharing some of that aspect of her of her background and her and her own interests with kids who want to know more. So that's clubs, and it's it's one of those ways I was talking about coaching earlier. On. It's that's one of those those uh, structures that allow mm-hmm. teachers to have a more three dimensional relationship with students, other mm-hmm. than just the dispenser of knowledge at the front of the room. And it's it's fun. We we truly get to know students well and and have more than that one do you get to run a club i do um my club uh this like in block one i ran a shooting pool with the head of school club Ah. yes there's a pool table downstairs i I have shot pool with the head of proof school so (laughs) i i I know that you're probably uh did anyone actually beat you we uh you know i'm gonna on rec for the record i'm gonna say no no we we have a lot of fun and then, you know some of the time is spent how do you put how do you put backspin on the spin, body put yeah. a little english so that set up your next shot like we did yeah. trick shots one day we did bank shots one day that was a great 
yeah. lesson because there's you know there's some math behind it. But anyway, that's that's the kind of thing. Um, I've done a, a another club that involves Zoom tools and building. Oh yeah, uh, building these crazy uh, uh, three dimensional structures. That's yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, so you come but, out of club time, and then what's next? Then we've reached the afternoon. It's about one thirty at that point, and every afternoon is uh, features a two hours of math class, two hours and ten minutes, but the the middle ten minutes is a break, and that's where all the math happens okay. during the school week mm-hmm. is during those two hour afternoon sessions. So one of the things that we that we're careful about at the school is is to make sure that kids who love math don't shortchange the other mm-hmm. areas that are that are important for them to to become well versed in writing uh, history Latin there's there's a and this was something the founders oh. right. had had introduced early on is this idea maybe math should all happen at school and have a lot of hours devoted to it but but we won't send kids home with math to work on that will be reserved for for other subjects and so oh, that's interesting so there's not math homework the, the the math work is done in the school other things are done outside right and and what another math teacher once observed to me was this has the uh maybe unanticipated but very beneficial effect of allowing us as math teachers to to challenge and engage our students with much more substantial mathematics the problem with giving a something that's pretty challenging as a homework problem is if you get stuck on part B, yeah. then like your evening is ruined because there's yeah. part C, D, E, and F and you're supposed to get something where really interesting and, and you can't get, and you're done. And you gotten stuck on something and you're right. And it's frustrating in the classroom when there are other students around and a teacher on hand, it becomes possible to, to do this. So I taught the cubic formula to my mm-hmm. seventh and eighth graders and we really did it when I, the right way, and I'm, I'm highly opinionated about what the right <laughs> way to do it. And it involves cube roots of unity, and, and ju- it's kind of like slowly building up some great ideas in Vieta's formulas and, uh, and storytelling with, you know, the whole tale with Tartaglia and Cardano mm-hmm. and Del Fiero. It's, it's, so when you, can, when you have the time in a classroom to unpack a, a, topic in this way you can you can do it in a way that you can't be accomplished via a set of homework exercises so right. it has this and you have like of, 10 hours of the week to play with at least correct. so you can you can tweet. build a big long story uh, yeah. and that's what in this particular class is like a mathematical laboratory it's a we we have five blocks uh, sort of six week chunks of time throughout mm-hmm. the school year where the math courses are concerned and we we have one half credit course per block so there's a constantly at during the seventh weeks kids are getting shuffled and moving to a different subject so in the you know the in the fall we teach a basically a discrete math course or a problem solving course and this in the second block just before winter break is more devoted to algebra which could be linear algebra or algebra one we have the whole spectrum which is that second myth actually about the schools that it's for kids who ace math is it's not it's for kids who love math and if that means they love math and they've never taken algebra one then we teach algebra one and if they love math and they're ready for multivariable calculus then they take multivariables. <laughs> Since all the math classes meet at the same time, 
it's just a matter of of splitting the kids up across right. the different classes. Grade level is more or less immaterial, and okay. and you do have very mixed grade level. Do you math see kids classes. moving up and down in the levels, for want of a better phrase, from block to block? So really a strong at geometry, bit. not yep. Yep. But, or exactly, okay. exactly, and then, so the class makeup does uh, get get a little uh, shuffles. Okay. Uh, exactly. Why in the afternoon? Why are the kids doing math in the afternoon instead of in the morning? Uh, another great <laughs> question, and one that we answered a lot in our first year, but it, 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 that sort of question is tapered off, I think, has become the accepted that that's how it's done. And it's for that same reason, where we want students to devote attention and not shortchange all of the remaining subjects. Uh, by the afternoon, and so I teach in the afternoon, mm -hmm. and I will be the first to admit that kids are a little more squirrely, you know, yeah. especially I'm teaching middle school this block, and uh, but be, their love of the subject and their um, and the time that we have to devote, it's okay for kids to be a little squirrely, and then we all refocus and get on with something mm -hmm. that's actually quite interesting. I'm teaching the Mandelbrot set right now uh and and you know uh, uh dynamical systems and and it and they they get swept along by in, mm -hmm. in a way that might be more unfairly challenging for a literature teacher to to deal with in the afternoon so this is a way of of setting up structures for the school that helps kids to have to to really truly deliver a liberal arts education uh, in so your thesis in, there is the kids can focus more in the morning than they can in the afternoon so you put the thing they allegedly want to focus on more in the afternoon to help support that is that I, I know that's the case because one morning a week we do have we switch things up and the math class mm -hmm. is first on Fridays the math class happens before lunch and uh, that's the day I have my quizzes and stuff uh, because <laughs> it's because they are able to focus much yeah. much more that's kind of a um, interest peak in their uh -huh. in their attention span it's just a how yeah. they're naturally just a little more alert it, we all are yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely at, at that point so so it's a compromise uh we played with the idea of kind of switching math morning afternoon but that wasn't it turns out that's not a good idea so uh so math is in the afternoon at proof school and uh, then after after you finish after math is there anything then it's the but, great exodus and okay this is a sight to behold uh if you know even if, if Anyone happens to visit proof school at 3:40, the bell rings and and the students because they have buses to catch and mm -hmm. uh, and trains to get on. The trains don't wait. This is the you know if you miss the baby bullet down to San Jose, it that that's a long time to wait for the next one. So okay. kids get into their little travel groups. They head out the door. We have a little system in place that's real efficient for uh, for checking them out on the way out the door. And in 10 minutes. The number of students in the building has dropped from 77 to three, and it wow. becomes real quiet and real empty, <laughs> really fast. And it, it, I was talking about the school that's you know we're we're growing and and gradually things are changing. We're next year for the first time we're going to be more, have more high school students than middle school students. We've been a predominantly oh, middle school uh, because we started with grades six through nine and then been gradually mm -hmm. um, filling out the um, what. What we anticipate happening is there may be a little bit more of an after-school uh, programs or just after-school culture that springs right. up. There'll be kids who are have permission from their families to leave 
when they're ready and and who actually would enjoy hanging around and either getting a little work done or or playing or maybe get, get like getting involved in something like model you in or debate right. or so some chess what, club wants to practice who knows what do kids do if they want to do that stuff now they want to they say they want to be in an orchestra or be on a soccer team is that they've got to go outside the school for that yeah that's largely coordinated yeah. by individual families who mm -hmm. want to have their kids and our kind of our intent pledge to families is we will uh we will be we'll monitor be cognizant of how much homework how much Right. We're asking of kids how many hours we're asking of them outside of school because we want to leave time for kids to be involved in their fencing lesson or going on a run or, uh, or sitting at home and doing nothing, which is what I think I'd love for kids to have more time to do. <laughs> so that's uh, uh, and, we, and we keep track of that periodically yeah. uh, in terms of asking kids how many hours they're spending yeah. on on their classes, classwork. Because, yeah, we want. All along, I hope that I, I think that what you're probably hearing is that we yeah we care about the the whole kid right. You're aiming at more than just creating mathematicians. Precisely, uh, and our kids are going to go in so many directions. They're going to become you know they're they're going to jump onto a bandwagon with with a startup here in the Silicon yeah. Valley, or they're going to to go into finance, or they're going to go into academia, or they're going to go into med school, or they're going to become authors and they'll go in so many different right. directions and writers yeah. so that's the kids day what's your job and how has it been different than what you expected your job to be my day as expected is tied pretty closely to that one of the favorite parts of my day is riding the bus into the city with us with a couple of students okay. uh one of whom is related to me <laughs> and and then the best way that i spend the morning is kind of a combination of of i am an administrator and so i i put in a some time to help keep things running here in this little main office but i have two colleagues that i work with that i could not have asked for for better colleagues, mm -hmm. two people who are share a sense of humor and are and very capable and and so between the three of us, we we handle most of the of just the the day to day work of of making sure that things happen and the teachers are hired and and students are enrolled and and you know there are a hundred details and right. um and we so that's. That's partly the morning. The morning's also prep time, so I, I, I'll often prep for lessons. Prep for, for yeah, yeah. So I teach from one thirty to three thirty. So and that's math. Our our teachers, are the other math teachers, you're using the time almost exclusively mm -hmm. those hours for uh, just getting ready. And uh, it's it's it. My favorite way to use the time though is just to walk through the school, kind of see what's happening. You know, yeah. it, when there's seventy seven kids, you know them all very well and especially when the way that i teach a batch of 12 of them and then i teach a new batch of 12 of them in the second block and a new batch of 12 of them in the third block i see a lot of the kids during the school year across all the grade levels and so there's this constant point of contact it's just great walking around seeing what they're up to right now as i look out the window the, the <laughs> 
there's a middle school group in the maker studio who are uh they're they're been working on lego robotics like lego mindstorm things that are doing amazing uh, there's one up there that's climbing stairs and the others that are following <laughs> this little tape route that's running all around the school and it's wow. it's great to see what they're up to and and do you uh, get to do any math yourself oh uh, what an interesting question yes because this was part of the original vision right was right. that i could both be a mathematician and uh, uh that tends to come in uh it's sort of seasonal and and during the the winter months when admissions is going on a lot of my extra time is is been thinking about which you know which students would could take off at proof which are really good fit uh, and then there's but but then there's the constant banter between math teachers and that's mm -hmm. one of the that's was always the hope that that we would just share little tidbits with one another uh, you know I, I was just talking with one teacher yesterday about a, a clever little exercise and having to do with with a uh, uh, analysis. And so now I have this little puzzle basically to think about on the train that <laughs> happens, that just happens throughout the school year. And it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I still help to write questions for Mandelbrot. Although there's a lot of students have joined me yeah, in this excellent. effort as well. And, uh, but I've been saving this. I, I actually just had an article published in the American mathematical monthly, which isn't, which I'm really yeah. proud of. And, yeah. and I think anyone who's an author of a monthly article is proud of because it's one of the most widely read journals in the mathematical community here in the United States. And this today. is from math that you were doing as part of proof school or math it, that you were doing. That's right. During yeah. the first year, each, each winter we, we devote about two weeks of the, of the year to run, basically running little research teams and doing little research projects like real research here's a open-ended question and let's see where we can go with it and i help steer kids and they learn to ask questions and and an outgrowth of one of those investigations that turned out to be even more promising than it i had imagined when i first posed it to the little research group uh that developed over the summer into a kind of a com one complete thought so if you've ever <laughs> wondered what warpitsky numbers are and why we should care about them and why they're actually very clever and beautiful things to consider then just go to the most recent issue of the monthly <laughs> and you'll find my oh that's you know, awesome. my little spread there with uh, so that was great and i i'm just delighted that basically proof schools in print i i mean yeah uh, that's that's the significance of this is that a a mathematician at a high school has published a a genuine sort of an authentic legitimate research article that was an in a real journal of a yeah. right in a mathematical journal that you know if i were going up for tenure i would this would be front and center in my in my portfolio so so that's happening as well there's there's a lot of uh opportunities for for math to happen so uh, both organically and deliberately so what surprises have there been how good bad um compared to what your expectations were coming in another difficult question <laughs> thanks richard uh, 
there have been what do you say for surprises uh i've been uh i've been maybe surprised by just how many aspects how many moving parts there are it's a school is a really complicated <laughs> beast uh and what the the extra component that i wasn't just didn't fully appreciate coming out of a college environment was the families are, you know, you don't enroll a student in your school. You enroll oh, a family. Now the student's the one who comes every day, but the family is there. And it's been, uh, that's a whole new dimension to the, to this enterprise that, that if, and surprises have ranged from one family just happened to know the, the head of the, self-driving car program at google and invited him to come and give a talk at the school and we're like whoa yes uh, <laughs> sure come on and so he did and it was one of the most memorable amazing afternoons we've ever had as this the kids love that this person who's had this fab fabulous presentation who's a yeah. very polished speaker was um, was treating us to a, you know, to an introduction to the Google self-driving car, and all the, you know, all all the the bits and pieces and the story behind it, and mm -hmm. that was a real treat. Uh, so there are surprises in that respect. Just what you're plugged into now via mm -hmm. your families. That's uh, something that uh, I just didn't see that coming. Uh, as well as the uh, kind of the. We're in the midst of building out a new space and trying to get construction done in the city. Here's yet another. Oh, maybe the surprise is how many new just whole realms, domains of of human activity I've been either introduced to or thrust, thrust into. into. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so this process has been uh, very educational. <laughs> can't imagine uh, that I would ever have been as familiar with the, you know, code related to the width of stairways and the, oh, and I could go yeah. on and on. Uh, so that's been, that's been, it, there's been a whole lot of learning and it's honestly, it's, uh, it's really exciting. And it's, I, I never regret taking this step that I have to being so, uh, so sort of injured, like in, enmeshed with the, yeah. the life of a school, just at every level. And being an administrator who's also a full-time teacher, I, I really am plugged in very, uh, very firmly with all of with all these different constituencies, with teachers and students and families and the board and understanding how a a, a nonprofit private school operates. It's uh, it's amazing and it's and the school has kind of taken on a life of its own as well uh there so which which way do you transition as you get bigger right i mean it's going to be hard it's going to be hard to maintain doing everything that is that's a very insightful question actually um, um congratulations <laughs> That's well, a, I've been struggling with this myself for the last few years, so. <laughs> and there, I have. It's true that as a school grows, the number of hats that I currently wear, each 
the responsibilities associated with each one are going to grow and it's going to and, and in the interest of serving the school well i should not continue to wear all of them uh i have not fully decided what that looks like uh but i can tell you for sure that it will continue to involve teaching that if i if for some reason i had to only choose one hat i would be a math teacher i would i would give everything and i enjoy some i i actually more so than i expected maybe this is another surprise more so than i expected i i like the the being in this in this office here with working with the other two members of this leadership team mm -hmm. making these decisions what direction do we go as a school and and what is our identity and how do we structure uh, the various things that that's been much more satisfying and appealing work than I had than I would have ever anticipated as a yeah. you know as a eighth grader who was wrapped up in math counts but uh, but that's been that's been really good nonetheless I the classroom <laughs> is is always will be my first love right. and so I, I don't think I will have to give up all the hats for the record sure but it's hard. It's a little hard to predict. Um, I, I think part of what will dictate it is what aspects of my of my current responsibilities are most uh, are most well suited to delegating or handing off. Given the current staff we have, you know, there may be someone that comes along who is clearly Wait. and naturally perfectly suited for kind of leading the math department and, and organizing the math festivals and doing placement and uh, and all the things that are involved with the math like I'm currently dean of mathematics as well I have these right. two job titles like if that's the case then it would be natural to hand that off on the other hand if the board meets someone who would be a perfect head of school that would that could carry on this aspect of the work and leave me to focus more on the mathematics then perhaps that would be the natural direction I have a feeling that external forces are going to have more, uh, more to do with the as much to do with the decision yeah, as anything. and maybe finding just the right person for for other things that's true so if you could reach back to your your past self and and poke your past self a little bit and say focus a little more on this because you're going to need it later <laughs> okay here's here's one not too deep but <laughs> learn how to give a good public address learn what goes into preparing practicing for and delivering a good public address because when you're head of school you're something of a public figure and uh, you'll be expected to stand up and and address a large group of people who are looking to you for leadership vision someone who can instill confidence in what you're doing and what they're involving their kids in and I you know I I fumbled a few of those <laughs> <laughs> but but I've you know I've experience is the best teacher and i've i've picked up uh you know picked up a few pointers <laughs> on the way but there there's something it's worth learning how to do that well and uh, it's something actually conversely that's something that we work really hard with our own kids on is uh, learning how to prepare for uh develop and deliver a good talk uh okay. how to get your audience invested in what you're talking about how to get them mentally engaged in what you're doing how to avoid showing them every last little thing you figured out because that's frankly not gonna <laughs> advance your own cause uh yeah. you need to stuff like that so uh, 
that's a little just the first thing that springs to mind. So how do you handle all your responsibilities? How do you keep it all straight? The secret, and I'm just going to give credit where credit's due, the secret is that my wife can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she marrying well works. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, really confident person because I I wind up, you know, my, my daily schedule looks something like after that 350 Mm-hmm. moment in the afternoon arrives then i take the train home and kind of decompress and enjoy a little downtime before dinner and then i work all evening that's my class prep time i need to hit the ground here running mm-hmm. in the morning ready for a crisis to happen or ready to meet right. with a couple of people just to talk who need to talk about something i need to be ready to go by and large when I arrive as, as a personnel support, uh, mm-hmm. now that doesn't happen every day, but the days that it does, I have to be able to set stuff down and, and, yeah. and be a present, uh, be present for, for whoever needs that. So, so I put in a, I put in a lot of hours. Uh, the other secret is every weekend though, I set everything down for 24 hours. And for me, that's sort of like, yeah. late Saturday afternoon to late Sunday afternoon. And I just don't do anything related to school. I don't look at any email. I don't uh, respond to texts. I just, Unplug. I just do stuff with, with whomever's around. Yeah. We get outside. We, mm-hmm. I walk the dogs. I talk with it. And, and that it turns out, um, I get a lot more done on average. Yeah. If I, if, if I step back for that little stretch. So, so those are a few things that make it possible. Yeah, so it sounds like clear schedule and clear boundaries. Yeah. 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 There are a lot of balls in the air. There yeah. is no doubt. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> various people may agree or disagree with me, but at, at this point, they I believe that, that they're all being kept up in the air <laughs> uh, in a responsible and satisfactory manner. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you very much for all the time. As in closing, I'd like you to tell me, anyone who's listening wants to find out more about Proof School, what should they do? Well, the obviously the the for a place to start is is www.proofschool.org, uh, and there's information on there. Uh, I think just by listening to this little conversation, they'll have an even better feel for what the school is like and what it's about and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, the website's more about information. If you're in the Bay Area, come to one of our math festivals as a student, come to one of our information sessions as a as a parent, or or apply for a position teaching here as a you know as a professional. And these are all ways to kind of to regardless of you know what happens next, these are all good ways to to become familiar with the school. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, thanks. I I feel like we've covered just about everything. And I let me turn around and thank you for inviting me to to be part of this series. And I'm really pleased to be able to share kind of the direction that I've just the direction that I've that I've wound up taking as a mathematician, as someone who's loved math all their life, and uh, and, and sharing a little bit of that story with all of your listeners. All right. Well, fantastic. I'd, in closing, like to thank you 
I've greatly valued all of our mathematical conversations and our friendship over the many years. My guest today has been Sam Vanderbilt. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Aftermath. You can find show notes for this and other episodes on our website at aops.com aftermath. We want more people to discover this podcast, so if you like this episode, please take a moment to share it with others you think will enjoy it. Then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. I'm Richard Russick. See you next time. Aftermath is brought to you by Art of Problem Solving, through which we've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of thousands of eager math students around the world. Our textbooks, online school, in-person learning centers, and various online resources empower students to develop the skills they'll need for success at top-tier universities and in internationally competitive careers. Come check us out at aops.com.